Now you're just showing off. You got another one ready for 11.30? Yeah, I do. Do you? A couple. Look at you. Wow. Sarah Fox coming through with the music today. Nicely done. Well, one of them's from Pat in Calgary, so we'll see how you like that one. Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. All right. So, so you'll have to... You're two for two with the Bowie and Elton John so far. Okay. Well done. Uh, I'm impressed. We, we've got a lot of suggestions on the text line. Did you see all those that you can use? Space Truck and Deep Purple, you could use that one. Oh, that's Pat's su- suggestion. Okay, he there you go. That's a surprise. <laughs> that's a good one. A lot of people, uh, yeah, Major Tom, we got that one covered. We're good there. Um, there's a whole bunch that we can uh, we can get to. If you just check the text, if you're running out of ideas, Sarah, check the text line. People are sending us space-related songs. Okay, I'll go take a look. So if, you, if you're out of ideas, you can find them there. Uh, a whole bunch of texts about the moon landing, and uh, a lot of people talking about whether it was faked or not. Some people really upset that people would even imply that it was faked. So we can get back into the moon landing in just a minute and take your calls on text on that as well. 780-496-0063-403-974-8255. So before we get to the moon landing discussion and the UFO discussion as well, we're going to talk now about planets and why they seem so bright in the sky. Uh, It's a little more complicated than you might think. There's a lot of different factors that go into just how bright a planet is. So let's get some details around that. We are going to chat now with Joe Rayo, who is an instructor and a guest lecturer at New York's Hayden Planetarium. Joe, thank you for joining us. I appreciate your time. Well, thank you very much. And uh, yes, uh, you know, 52 years ago, man landed on the moon. And do you remember, those of you out there who remember watching those of us of a certain age on that amazing <laughs> Sunday night in late July of 1969, do you remember uh, as the first images from the moon were shown on our television screens of uh, what we were looking at? I wasn't alive. You'll have to tell me. Okay. Well, if you were if you were watching that night, the first transmission from the moon of Neil Armstrong coming down the ladder, the ladder of the yep. module was upside down. Upside down. And on CBS TV, Walter Cronkite turned to his uh, colleague Wally Sharar, former astronaut Wally Sharar, and he said, Right now, Wally, I'm envisioning 600 million people around the world standing on their heads. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, Walter was the best. I mean, you don't want anybody else narrating and guiding you through an experience like that other than Walter Cronkite. I mean, he's part of that that space. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Joe, since we're talking about that... um, you know, did how, first of all, you 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 saw it, right? You were you were around when it happened, were you? Yes, I was. I was uh, I was not quite uh, uh, thirteen years okay. old in uh, nineteen sixty nine. I we're remember t- it well. We're talking a lot about you know just the fact. I mean, sure, it's absolutely remarkable accomplishment and and the history around it. But focusing a bit on the inspiration now, for a guy who ended up doing what you're doing. Did that play a role? How inspiring was it for you? What you saw that day? Well, it, was, it just blew me away, and uh, I had I had uh, an interest in astronomy even before that. I, my grandfather, um, showed me uh, an eclipse of the sun. It was a partial eclipse. Uh, we watched it from the porch of uh, his house in 1963. And it got me so fired up about astronomy that I uh, started taking books out uh, from the library, and eventually I ended up uh, getting a telescope for Christmas. And my grandfather made a uh, promise to me. We saw a partial eclipse, but he said, you know, in 1925, New York City saw a total eclipse, and I saw that, 
and I'm going to take you to a total eclipse of the sun. He promised me in 19, that we were going to go in 1970, but unfortunately, he had to have a, an operation. He was a, he was a heavy smoker, and he uh, 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 had to have his voice box, his larynx, removed. And it was on the day before the, uh, the eclipse. So huh. I visited him the day of the eclipse. We, uh, it was in New York City, and I saw the, uh, the partial eclipse once again. But he, on, a, on a blackboard, a little slate, he said, when is, the, when is the next one? And I knew the next one was going to be in 1972 in Canada. Uh, in the Gaspé Peninsula okay, of yeah. uh, Quebec. And I told him that's where we were going. And uh, sure enough, two years later, in July of 1972, uh, he and I and my grandmother, my, my mom, my sister, we took a leisurely 900-mile uh, drive <laughs> from New York up to the Gaspé where we saw a total eclipse. And I've seen since then, I've seen 11 others all around the world. But the, but the moon landing, was ju- it just blew me away because... I followed that as a, as a youngster, the, the, the Mercury flights, the, the Gemini yeah. flights, and then to see it all come to, uh, to pass finally on that night in July of 69 with, with uh, two human beings walking on the face of the moon, and hopefully we'll be, we'll be back there again in, in, a, in a couple of more, a few more years. You know, and some people are saying, hey, if we went there, and you know, these are the people saying that we didn't go there. Uh, uh, some people saying, well, why don't we go back? Why don't we go there now? We're doing all these other things. Why don't we go back now? Is it just simply because... We've already done it. I mean, why are we not, you know, building bases on the moon and all those sorts of things? You know, I had a big argument with my father-in-law about this. <laughs> my father-in-law uh, was one of the was one of the technicians uh, at at Grumman, which uh, put together the lunar module uh, back in the late 1960s. He was the guy. He was one of the guys who actually wrapped the lunar module up in that gold. Right. Yeah. Uh, it, it's not foil. foil it's it's my, yeah mylar. Uh, the Mylar foil, and he, he was at Grumman, and he wrapped every, every lunar module that went into space. Years later, many years later, I had a conversation with him, and he said, you know, I don't think we did very much. Why, why did we go to the moon? I, I, and this is from a man who actually helped, you know, put those spacecraft together. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and he felt that way. I understood why he felt that way, because as soon as we landed on the moon, they immediately started cutting back on the space program. Uh, Grumman, in fact, was going to lay off a number of people. He he got out before he was laid off, but he he had it from the standpoint of, oh, what's the use? We went there, we got a few rocks, we came back. What? And I, I said to him, you know, uh, I beg to differ. Um, he was a big wrestling fan. He he loved to watch. Uh, <laughs> he liked to watch WWF uh, WWE wrestling. I said, let me ask you a question. Did you enjoy watching uh, Super Slam uh, last night on your big 60-inch uh, plasma TV? Did you enjoy uh, calling up uh, your relatives in Germany? He's a, he's he's in German. Uh, he's German. I said, you enjoy talking to your relatives in Germany uh, on your cell phone, on your iPhone the other day? I said, all of these things that we have today that we take for granted, came out of the space program. Without the space program, a lot of the things that we enjoy, like having our own PCs, our own computers right, in yeah. our living room or our, our, our den, I mean, this, this would have blown you away, uh, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago. I remember going to the New York World's Fair in 1964 and seeing all of the wonders that were going to occur uh, in the 21st century, and sure enough, they have all come to pass because... We sent men into space, and now women too, 
And it is because of that space program that we have uh, accomplished so much now, and we are going to accomplish more in the coming years ahead by going back into space, going back to the moon, and even perhaps going back to Mars, going to Mars uh, in the, the next uh, twenty or thirty years. It's 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 absolutely amazing. So, now, Joe, that's what I was asking the audience this morning. Is because I wasn't alive, but everybody's telling me just what a feeling it was in the world. I mean, we're up in Canada, so we're you know, I mean, we're a little closer connected than some other people around the world. But it seemed like a global phenomenon of of inspiration and wonder, and we can do anything was sweeping the globe when this happened. What's next? Is there something that we can? aspire to that the entire world can go, this is a mankind achievement. Is there something out there? Well, you know, we're, we're, we're of course, wondering uh, with, the, with the recent reports from the United States government about UFOs, yeah. and there are about 140-some-odd uh, objects that have not been able to be uh, identified specifically as to what those things were, and then by the, uh, by the armed services of the United States. So are there, you know, other, uh, you know, other beings out there? It would be wonderful if we could somehow manage to communicate. I watched the movie the other day uh, uh, with uh, Jodie Foster, Contact, yeah. which was based upon the novel by, uh, by uh, the late, uh, great Carl Sagan. I mean, to actually, you know, uh, hear uh, signals from another, uh, another race, another another intelligent life out there. That would, that's really something that would really blow us blow us out of the water to be able to actually talk to to neighbors out there in 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 space. And of course, we have to uh, also consider the fact that with the overpopulation occurring uh, in in the world today, that we're eventually going to have to move some of us uh, somewhere else. And uh, maybe if we can move, uh, you know, start you know, building cities on the moon, that we might be able to take some of that population and move it up to the, up to the lunar surface and maybe to other, other places like, like Mars. So uh, it's, the, the, the sky is not the limit. I mean, we, we, You're right. we have a lot ahead of us. It's, it's infinite. I mean, we were just chatting with a guy earlier about wormholes, which they're just basically dipping their toe in the water to try and get some understanding around black holes and wormholes. There is so much left to discover. We don't know what's even around the corner. Oh, absolutely. And you talk about, for example, our knowledge of uh, on our technology. I mean, um, we're, we're trying to communicate using radio signals, radio waves. But consider this. Consider that, you know, if, if we go to, uh, you know, hundreds of years ago, let's say to Africa, uh, or even in the desert southwest of the United States, and they communicated, let's say, by beating drums. That was their way of communicating with the uh, the next tribe or the next uh, group over uh, the mountain or over the hill somewhat. I mean, those people, thats that was their way of communication. They had no idea what radio is. Radio was completely foreign to them. And yet, you know, uh, we, we use radio today. Maybe there's some other form of communication that some intelligent life is 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 using uh, out there that we're not, uh, uh, you know, we, we we don't know of yet, and uh, we we may know, you know, uh, dozens or hundreds or thousands of years from now. Uh, but but at least with the moon landing of 52 years ago, when we landed uh, human beings on another on the surface of another planet, because that's really what it is the moon is a planet. It's, sure, uh, sure. It's, 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 in fact, it's the biggest satellite, natural satellite, in proportion relative to its, uh, its, its parent. Uh, you look at all the, other pla- all the other planets, like Jupiter, for example, it's this gigantic yeah, globe of gas 
the, the moons are, are, are tiny little dots compared to Jupiter. But here we, we are living on a planet, and we have a neighbor a quarter of a million miles away that's only about a quarter of the size of our own planet. So uh, it's, 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 it, as you just mentioned uh, earlier, just a few, you know, a few minutes ago, it's, it's all a start. It, it is yeah. all a start, and uh, who knows where, where we're, where we're going to be, what we're going to be doing you know, 100 years from now, 1,000 years from now, it's, 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 we're just at the beginning. Okay, we were supposed to talk about planets. It's not going to happen because you're, you're far too interesting on the things that we got off on tangents on, which is wonderful. Um, last one before I let you go. This Richard Branson, Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk space race, where does this fit in, this vanity project boutique space thing? What does it mean in terms of space exploration? Well, I think it means that uh, eventually people like you and I uh, will have a chance. Now, of course, it's not going to happen next week. It's no, not going to no. happen next month. It's not even going to happen probably 10 years from now because it costs so much. I think, what, $28, 30000000 million for a person yep. to go flying up into, <laughs> into space. But, uh, you know, in, in, in maybe 50 or 100 or 150 years, they're going to look back upon this day and they say, this is where it all began. I mean, like, you, you, you talk about somebody at the beginning of uh, the 20th century. I mean, who knew back in 1900 that uh, by 1950 or the the late 1900s, that people, not just a few people, I mean, hundreds of people would be flying in aircraft around (laughs) around the Earth, going around the Earth. So, you know, we look at this now, you know, in 50 or 100 years, it might very well be that it is what we saw today is going to be relatively routine. They'll be looking at this and saying, like, oh, big deal. Look at this. Yeah. They, 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 they sent a few people up into a spacecraft. They went up about 50 or 60 miles, and they came down 10 minutes later or whatever. Well, heck, that's what Alan Shepard did in 1961. And then that built on that. We started orbiting people around the globe, and, and then eventually we went to the moon. So, again, the sky is not the limit. We're in 50 or 100 years. Uh, maybe some people aren't too happy with uh, uh, the, uh, you know, Bezos and sure. uh, the, the other billionaires because of, you know, their their practices uh, in industry or whatever like that. But, heck, these guys, they they had the interest, and they, they, they're getting us started. And, uh, we'll again, in about 50 or 100 years, it may be, again, just completely routine. Joe, um, awesome, awesome conversation. I'm out of time, but thank you so much. We'll do this again. Well, looking forward to it. Just give me a call. We I'm here. will. We certainly will. Thank you, Joe. That is Joe Rayo, who is uh, an instructor, guest lecturer at New York's Hayden Planetarium, which I believe is run by Neil deGrasse Tyson, if I if I remember correctly. Uh, awesome conversation. Way off on something we weren't meant to talk about, but boy, I'm glad we did.